Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 13 on our 2023 World Junior Championship Preview Show, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I am Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com, and you can listen to the show as well on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube, and follow us at Twitter on at HP Radio and at www.HockeyProspectRadio.com. So we're going to start with Team Canada on this review, talk about some prospects and the team overall in the first segment. Uh, off the top, let's talk about Connor Bedard. I fully expect him to be the first overall pick in the 2023 draft. I'm just curious on your thoughts. I watched Canada yesterday as we record this show. They played the Slovaks, and Connor Bedard was on the line with Shane Wright and Brennan Othman. And thoughts on overall of you know how he's going to adjust playing on the wing. I don't think it's going to be an issue for him, but I'm intrigued to see some versatility in his game and that, yes, he's obviously an elite-level talent, but he's surrounded by an extremely talented team and what he does with that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the main thing with Bedard is, as you know, we've talked about on the show is that very intelligent players and he's one of them adapt very quickly to being put in different positions than they're accustomed to. Uh, it's not the first time he's been on the wing though. Uh, and uh, I don't think it will be the last either. So it's, it's one of those situations where I, I don't think it's going to be any problem. The, the main thing with Bedard is it gives us some more of an opportunity to see how he works along the walls. He's been at center the entire year. It's it's going to give us a, a scouts an opportunity just to see if there's anything uh, maybe that's a little bit not different, but the intensity is going to be the highest it ever has for him here um, relative to the rest, rest of the season. Uh, so I think this is going to be a, a very unique opportunity to see how he handles physicality. He's going to be going up against older, stronger players. And the defense know that the only way to stop this kid is nothing to do with trying to outskill him. You're never going to outskill Connor Bedard. Uh, so you're going to have to physically engage with him. As as a scout, I'm very interested to see how he reacts to the level of intensity that's coming his way. That's the main main thing, because I know he can play with any teammate that you give him. I could put up goals for the U20s right now on one leg if I had Connor Bedard as my winger. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those situations where uh, it's just all about the little, the little uh, details to him in terms of his 200-foot game, his defensive reads, and seeing how he works along the walls at a higher rate. Yeah, I mean, look, he goes against some pretty talented defensemen in the WHL, but in terms of concentration of talent, he's not going to find that anywhere else other than the World Juniors at his peer group. So I'm intrigued how he handles, you know, the Americans at some point, or the Swedes, or the Finns, or, you know, the Slovaks with Simon Nemec, like, paired against him all the time. Um, That's going to be, to me, really extremely fascinating. And... I agree with you. What's his play along the wall? You know, you know, obviously he has the skill, but you know, if you're not doing that on a consistent basis, I'm just curious to see how he handles it and adapts. Cause I expect him to be fine, but you know, we'll see. Cause you don't know until you see it. So uh, that's, that's something that I'm looking forward to as well. Let's chat about Adam Fantilli. Cause we haven't had a chance to talk to about, about him a lot over the last, you know, this season specifically. So I'm curious again, he's also another player 
you know, he's going to play, he's playing on the wall. He was playing with Logan Stankoven and, and Dylan Gunther. I don't think he's going to have an issue being on the wall based on his skill set and size. And that's not going to be issue. I'm just, uh, these are the situations where we talk about adaptability and situational awareness and how he's going to be able to look at, okay, what's my role in this team? What am I going to do with my line mates, you know, and adapt to that situation? Because to me, I think for you and for other scouts, these are the little check marks we have at these tournaments. Like this is what's really important for these draft eligible players. Fintili is a different situation altogether for me than Bedard. We've seen Bedard, excel internationally we've seen him take games over that matter right uh i'm sure some of you remember his brilliant uh backhand goal at u18s against right. russia in the gold medal right we've seen that we know it's there uh that's what star players do they take over games when they matter most connor shoney can do that adam fatili is not adam fatili falls into the uh quinton byfield category where he is underwhelmed internationally uh to us and to myself um i've had extensive conversations with Jerome Baruby about this where we, we we expected a lot more from him last season of the U18s. Uh, we thought that that showed uh, uh, chinks in his armor in the sense that his hockey sense, it, it, he, he's an incredibly fast player. His toolkit's incredible, but sometimes it's it's um, he overwhelms himself in terms of his decision-making. Uh, that has stayed this year in college as well. So uh, it will be very interesting to see and contrast him relative to Bedard on the same team again. That That's the big thing here for me when I, when I look at this, there's an opportunity. A lot of people think that this, you know, everybody's going to hype up Connor Bedard and, and call him the next superstar. They did it with Alexei Lafreniere. I think Tim Stutz is better right now. They did it uh, They did it with Shane Wright. Shane Wright didn't even go top three, right? So uh, don't get me wrong. I think Connor Bedard is a better prospect than both Lafreniere and Shane Wright. But I also don't think this is a one-horse race, which we discussed on the show too. So, uh, you know, you look at Leo Carlson, you look at Fentili, you look at Bedard. This is the huge opportunity now for all of us to get a real contrast on the same ice surface. And it's it's pretty rare you get to do that because Leo Leo's playing over in Sweden SHL and then Fatili's playing college. So now now it's we're gonna really th- th- I think this tournament's gonna matter a ton because I really think this is a three horse race. And now it's now it's time to see exactly where each one is in their development. But this is a huge tournament for Fentili. I really I really think this tournament matters more than some people do. I know he's been lights out in college, but that's an all-star team. And yes, you can definitely make an argument Canada's team in the, in the top six anyways is definitely sure. an all-star team too. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see how he handles some of these uh, elite defensemen, like as you mentioned, Simon Amich. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how he does. Well, I think it becomes much more fascinating as they get into the quarterfinals and the semifinals specifically. Now, unless there's an upset, which is possible. Some goalie Very gets possible. hot. It's possible. possible. There could be, yeah. there could be an upset. Like, you know, if you're a betting person, you know, Sweden, Finland, the States and Canada, those are the top four teams. They should barring upset should be in the semifinals. So there's an opportunity to see these teams play against each other twice. You get the semifinals and obviously the, the medal games. So that's where, you know, I want to see, we could potentially see these players go head to head. Wouldn't it have been fun to see Canada and Sweden go head to head at some point, right? In terms of in a real one off, right? Like in a semifinal or in a or in a medal game, and then mm-hmm. see how they play against you know, each other from that standpoint. That's going to be fascinating to me is to see how they adapt to this level of pressure. And it's even more so on Fantilli and Bedard because it's in Canada. 
And yes, they can turn their phones off, but they know what this country is like. There's there's no illusions, right? What it's like when you don the the Maple Leaf, there's no illusions to what your responsibilities. Yeah, one, and also, one, one, we got one goal. It's to win. That's it. Yeah, and the pressure is you know immense upon them, and you know the the social media goes bananas, and so does the general media as well. So it's it's going to be fascinating. Uh, we should also talk about uh, Brant Clark, and one of the reasons why you know we want to talk about him is you always tend to find okay who's going to be that number one D. There's always like a really good decor from Canada, like regardless of the year, but who ends up being that number one? Because Canada always tends to really have one big horse. And is it going to be Brant Clark? You know, from an offensive standpoint, is he going to be the guy that's going to have to lead the charge from the back end and really push pace and take take over as the QB? I mean, look, you got Owen Zellweger there too, but I think with Brant Clark's having that that pro experience, um, I think is going to help him perhaps in that regard. Yeah, well, you took the name out of my – if it's not Clark, it's Zellweger. Both of them need to step up huge here. Uh, their goaltending, it could, it could make or break them depending on if, if, if there's a poor performance. That's, that's the beauty of this tournament, though. In one game, if a goalie's off, it, it, can, it can throw out everybody's uh, betting line, right? Um, so when, when you look at uh, – when you look at uh, – uh, the situation with Clark, you know, what's really interesting to me is the fact that he he didn't make it last year, and there was a lot of discussion about that, and uh, some people really didn't like that uh, uh, in terms of thinking that he, you know, for the talent level, he should be there. Now, what's fascinating to me is that this this raises a bigger debate, which has always been there, which is, is Brent Clark capable of ever being a true number one, the projection of him being a number one? Uh, LA drafted him like that that was the, the case. This tournament will be an opportunity to showcase if that if that's true. The, the big thing with Brent Clark is that uh, we've discussed it uh, numerous times on the show with Mark Yannetti on and with Pat Malloy and and I think just me and you and that's uh, he, he suffers from not knee syndrome and if if he is to be a true number one defenseman he would be the first number one defenseman that has not knee syndrome. Nick Hague does not project to be uh, a, a true number one by any stretch. Nick Hague's you know good good top four. Uh, defenseman in Vegas uh, in terms of projection, but and and I guess and that was one right of Pat, and that was, yeah, and Hank was, was one of, Pat, of Pat's clients that's, as well, right? So that's right. That's that, right. So that helps me think that okay, there's a possibility for Brent to maybe like elevate himself into that. But if he's honestly, if he ends up being a number two, oh, he's completely. Like, who cares? Yeah, right? He'll be he'll be fine if he's a top four. But the, the the reason I brought up the whole number one projection is in order to defend correctly in your own zone, you have to deal with some incredible talent that's coming down on wings that have high-end skill that make you and force you to twist and contort your frame and pivot correctly and time your pivoting. When you have knock-knee syndrome, it makes it more difficult. That, that's why I brought up uh, his, his knock-knee. And, and you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's, uh, it's a totally negative trait or anything. Like He's overcome it his whole career, um, and that's a testament to Brent. So let, let's see how he does here at this event. But it is, from a scouting perspective, it's fascinating to see a kid who's built like Nick Hague, who's trying to become a number one defenseman. Because most people, when it comes to scouting, unless somebody else has done it, they don't want to touch the idea of it, right? So Brent Clark might be able to take that away, right, in, in terms of projecting just how far somebody with, with a, a knock-knee syndrome can go. Yeah, I mean, people are afraid of the unknown. So it's a common human trait. We're no different from that. Like, we don't like the unknown. But we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll continue the World Junior Championship preview right after these messages. (laughs) 
You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championship preview show. If you missed the show, you can also catch it on Pandora or any of your podcast favorite podcast networks, um, as well as our YouTube channel. So we're talking about Team USA, and uh, one of the draft eligibles on their team is Charlie Strammel. And it's, it's interesting because... I think his usage and deployment in this tournament is going to be vastly different than what his usage deployment is in the university of Wisconsin. So we're going to get to be able to see him in completely different circumstances. And I want to see how he reacts to that. So I've seen him twice in the pre-tournament games. So I'm curious, like he's going to be leaned on pretty heavily for the penalty killing and to match up against some other like top end skill players. He's big. He can skate. You know, he can take away time and space. So, you know, I'm. I think you and I are both in agreement that you know his play so far in Wisconsin hasn't been. I guess maybe what we try. The problem is we have expectations and then they don't meet them, and then we try to you know reverse that back, right? We pull back and go, okay, what's going really like? We start asking why questions. So I think this is a really interesting opportunity for him at the World Juniors as a draft eligible player to, you know, perhaps do some things that he doesn't, hasn't done in Wisconsin at this tournament. Yeah. I I know people discuss deployment and yeah, there's concerns with his deployment in college, but I think there's also, I think from a scouting perspective, concerns that sometimes when you look at him physically, one of the most impressive kids in the draft, right? Really reminds me, aesthetically reminds me of Tampa Bay's prospect, Maxime Groshev, Russian force of nature. They took him third round in 2020. Right. He's starting to track correctly now. Uh, brilliant skater, wide track sk- skater, uh, very thick, powerful, powerful kid, right? Uh, the issue is just because he's physically ready for college doesn't mean that he's offensively where he needs to be in order to excel, right? And I think that that's the real issue with, with, with Charlie. That said, when it comes to the U20 performance, he does have the, the defensive instincts. He does have the anticipation. He does have the, the awareness uh to make sure that he's not a detriment on the ice and that will give him an opportunity to hopefully make some stops, make some good reads, be an excellent uh, supporting uh, defenseman because that's right now, I think that's how you kind of project him is, is one of those third pairing or, or third line shutdown defensemen, right? And uh, every team wants a good defensive center. Uh, and I think this might be an opportunity too, if, there, if there's more talent there that he hasn't shown in college this year, now's his opportunity to showcase some of that. He's going to have to bring some offense with that defense. Um, it, do I think he's going to get probably a little be? He's a specialist here, right? Like he's going to be used on the penalty kill. If he's not playing well, he's he's not going to get the ton of minutes. So it's going to be a huge tournament for him if he can get off the ground and running quickly and get his confidence going. I don't think he's a very confident player on the ice right now. Well, he's got well, to find his confidence. To find that he was ball. confident um, at the the game against Sweden. He had a goal and an assist. Like he was. Yeah. He was dictating yeah. play. I gave him. I gave him a lot of credit for the game that I saw. I saw him against Finland. Then again, again, mm-hmm. I saw him against Sweden coming into these pre-tournament games. It's a pre-tournament game, but you know the Americans wanted to play against tougher competition, and I thought you know his overall game, despite the points, points are great. Um, you know, had a good game. 
So he needs to carry that. Needs yeah, to carry get, that momentum yeah. into and moving forward. So that's why I'm really like, he's a curiosity for me in this tournament. And I'm going to see a lot of games out of Moncton. So they're in that they're in that pool. So I'm going to see him play a lot really close. So I'm just curious to see how that sort of plays out. Um, obviously, because of the def- the structure of the defense core in the U.S., they have a lot of smaller defensemen. Let's talk about Ryan Chesley, and he, like, in terms of stylistically, he's only the real defensive defenseman they have in that defense core. So how much is it he going to be leaned on to have to defend against the best lines and the best power play every shift? Like, I think he's going to end up logging a lot of hard minutes in the defensive zone because it's going to have to suit it, – it suits his skill sets. Yeah, somebody asked me how many minutes per game do you think that Ryan Chesley might log? I tell you all, like he's he's very, very, very important for the states uh, in this tournament. Uh, the, Chesley Chesley shares some defensive similarities to Jake Sanderson. Um, he's not as intelligent as Jake Sanderson, uh, but he's he's a very gifted skater. He's physically very powerful, powerful kid, which means he has an opportunity to make sure that he can box out players uh, and give his give his goalies uh, some breathing room. He's very good in transitional rush defense and keeping players to the outside. He's physical. He's, he's at times, he, he's nasty, which is good. You need that. You need an edge, especially in a tournament like this where it's very competitive. This is why NHL staffs, why executives, they draft, why directors scouting draft players that uh, play play on the edge, play with a mean streak. Because when it comes to uh, tournaments and when it comes to playoff hockey where, where everything's on the line, those players are the players that usually thrive, right? Ryan Chesley fits that description. For me, uh, this will be my first opportunity to actually see him since he was drafted by Washington. So the big thing was, the big the big question with Chesley was how much untapped offense was there? It was considered, he was he considered to have a down year. He was very much considered to be a top 15 player going into last season. And things didn't go his way. Um, you know, he was, he was I feel like, misused in the, on the power play. And I, I don't blame the coaching staff. It's a situation where you have way too many top end players, very difficult to find them in the right position. Yeah. You're in an right? all-star so team. You're an all-star team. And that, that means that for some players, it's going to accelerate the development for others. It's going to stall aspects of development. I feel like Chesley fits in the latter category because he didn't get those offensive opportunities that he normally would in terms of being able to actually run, run a top unit and quarterback it from the, from the blue line, like, he, uh, like a defenseman needs to. Uh, so it's, it's going to be very interesting to monitor how he looks offensively. And the big thing with Chesley was, the the, the uh, retrieval rates and exit rates weren't at the level they needed. Didn't know how to incorporate deception at the rate he needed to in terms of off looks, sort of in terms of actual postural fakes, in terms of skating fakes, in terms of making sure the players take uh, the wrong route so he readjusts his lanes and find an exit. He also is adaptive thinking in terms of if his first lane was gone, his first passing uh, decision was gone. Yeah. He had trouble. He struggled at times when he couldn't skate the puck. So this is an opportunity for me to identify where he is as a defenseman in terms of just an overall product and especially offensively. But he's going to be a huge beast to this team. Yeah, and honestly, I'm not sure like what opportunity. Honestly, I don't think he's going to get any power play time. I think they're just going to use him exclusively on the penalty kill and to match up defensively because they have so many power play weapons on the defense core. Right. Like mm-hmm. he's going to be yeah. an afterthought. So I don't think we're really going to see it where I think will be interesting is just his zone exits defensively and his retrieval. That's where I'm going to see. Uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for from that standpoint. Um, 
because I just don't think he's going to get a sniff at power play with the defense that they're looking at. Well, you know, guys with like Luke Hughes and, you know, Lane Hudson and Sean Barons and, you know, Jack Perk, they're going to get all the, they're going to get all the ice time from that standpoint. Uh, we should also talk about Logan Cooley. And reason being is offensively, he's got to, has to be the straw that stirs the drink for the States. Yeah. Like he has to be yeah. the most dominant offensive player that they have and the best playmaker that they have. And, for them to win gold, he has to be the best playmaker in this tournament. He's got to be able to push all those other players um, along for the ride. Yeah, you know, he he's a fascinating player, he's such a dynamic player. Uh, what's interesting about this tournament is that they might have to rely on Trey Augustine, who, who's a draft eligible this year in net. It will depend on Embarico's game, where he's at. But right. if, he, if he's not doing well, Augustine might come in that Augustine has played internationally. He's used to pressure, but it's a different kind, as you know, a different kind of pressure when you're through 20s, different kind of pressure. So uh, the reason I bring that up is that this, this tournament could be decided by who creates the most errors on the ice. The thing with Logan Cooley is he's the type of player who will make six spectacular plays, but then give up four pucks trying to make those six spectacular plays. It's all going to be about error rates with Logan Cooley. Can he contain his game? So that that dynamism that he that he has in it, uh, it's the it's the focal point as opposed to him making too many turnovers per sixty. Right, that that's the focus. So Logan's going to have to find that balance that has had that he has honestly always struggled with. That's always been the 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 Achilles heel of, of Cooley. It's the reason that that uh, he wasn't considered a, a first overall pick, despite having the talent that would suggest he could be. It's it's because the there was a liability there in terms of how he creates. Uh, and sets up his playmaking. Now, it's said when he's on, he's really on, and he's going to have to be really on, as you as you mentioned, in order for the states to have anywhere near the success that, that, that you would think going in. That, that just because the country has been so dominant recently, you would think that they would have success. But it, it could be it could be one of those tournaments that's very short lived for them if things don't don't go well with Cooley. And the the thing with Cooley though is he makes his teammates better. That's the main thing. And so he has an opportunity to, to really showcase that element if things go right. Yes, saw him on the line with Cutter Goche and Jimmy Snuggerud. So you got some pretty big bodies out there in terms of forwards. They're going to create some time and space for him. So that, you know, the risk assessment there might be more in his favor when he has more time and space. So he has less pressure because you got a Jimmy Snuggerud or like a Cutter Goche bearing down on the defense or going in front of the net. The defense have no choice. They have no choice but to like pivot to those guys. You can't let those guys have free run around your net, right? So that allows a guy like Logan Cooley to dance, dance in the offensive zone, right? And it's when he has a little bit more time and space, that's where it's, it's he makes less risky decisions. And so does everybody, but he's even more dangerous in that respect. So I'm curious to see how his line mates are going to be able to actually help him reduce the risk that you talk about in these situations, because you know, even if you're a Simon Nevich type of defenseman, you can't allow Coach A to be lingering around your goaltender or Snuggerud for that matter, right? So mm -hmm. it's like pick your poison. Do you want these two power forwards like crashing your net, or do you want L Logan Cooley dancing through the new dancing around the offensive zone, right? So I almost would rather let Logan Cooley what Lo do does what Logan Cooley does and just take care of those those two power forwards in that respect, but we better take a short break on hockey prospect radio. We'll have more world junior talk right after these messages. 
Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 NHL Draft Preview Show. We're going to talk about Team Finland. If you do happen to miss the show or you want to hear it again, it is available on podcast. Any of your favorite podcast networks, including Pandora, which is Sirius XM. So let's talk about some fins. Um, I know that you want to chat about some draft eligible as well. I'm intrigued by, you know, Lenny Hamanillo. Thoughts on him coming in as a draft eligible player on a pretty, you know, they are a pretty good team up front with Finland. And all they do incorporate young players. They always tend to lean a little bit more heavily you know, with those dra- with the drafted players, particularly, you know, the Brad Lamberts and the Joachim Kamels and Kazamakis and, and Kapanen. So thoughts on how he's going to be integrated and what do you what are you thinking about him in terms of his his potential overall play? So Lenny Amino playing out of SOT system in Liga. So that gives him a little bit of a head start when having to adapt to this type of tournament because he's used to a higher place than in U20 Sarja. Uh, the, the big thing with Lenny Amino is that, f- for my money, he's the smartest, most efficient defensive forward I've seen out of Finland since Anton Lundell. Unbelievably intelligent player. His anticipation, his defensive reads, specifically his defensive ability, is second to none. The reason I bring that up is you, you have more of a, a very, actually very similar situation to Logan Cooley, Brad Lambert. And so Brad Lambert can make some spectacular plays elite through the neutral zone, incredible skater. He's also very error prone. That's where a player, a player like Lenny Mino come in and clean some clean up, clean up some work, make sure that the puck stays out of his defensive end. Uh, that said, Lenny's more than just a defensive winger. Uh, he also has some talent. He's really starting to get going in, in uh, Finland. Uh, he's putting up very good numbers, actually. Um, the, the thing with Aminoho is the skating is, is the weakness. The, the skating base in terms of power output, mechanically, there's some issues as well. Uh, kickback extension rates, postural balance issues. He, he, there's issues, but this is a bit, from a scouting perspective, very very important tournament for him because when you have somebody who who lacks the necessary scouting, you know, there's a couple of things we look at. One is can they keep maintain the proper pace of play. The other is can they anticipate and read the play well enough when they get ahead of the play just to help counteract and, and compensate for some of those skating limitations. That is Lenny Minaho's game in the Liga. Can it translate to U20s? I think so. Uh, I can't wait to see if it does. The big thing, too, is this will be an opportunity where he doesn't play junior hockey very often. I want to see a little bit more of that untapped offense because some games it really shines, other games it's, it's flat. Let's see if there's some consistency with his offensive ability at this tournament. It could be a massive tournament in terms of his ranking. It really could if be. You get, I, I, and it depends on his ice time, too. Like It's yeah. an older team, so he might not get much ice. So, right. so I'm glad you brought that up because I would say the same thing in Liga and he averages almost 17 minutes a night. That's how trusted he is because he's a special defensive player. This this player is unbelievably good defensively. He's He projects to be Matthias Sapovalov, who was drafted by Vegas in their first round there. Right. Or was it second round? He was second, round yeah. second round. Uh, they took Matthias. But Matthias was a defensive specialist at center. Uh, Adam Sikora taken in the second round by the – or. Yeah, second round by the Rangers. Uh, he he also projects to be an elite 
uh, specialist winger that, that defends and plays on a penalty kill. Aminoho has those traits, right? The, the question is, does Aminoho have a higher ceiling offensively than Sopovilo and Sakura? As a scout, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to evaluate. I think he can really pass the puck at a high rate that helps compensate for the skating base because uh, he's not going to be a very strong player in transition. So we're, it's going to be a very interesting tournament to evaluate him. But uh, make no mistake, he's a player that's going to go in the top four rounds of this draft. So anybody listening to this, so I don't know who that is, should I care? You should care because your team your team might draft in the top four rounds. Let's talk about Joachim Kamel and how much pressure and how much the team is going to lean on him specifically for clutch goals. Like he's the guy who I think, you know, when push comes to shove, he's going to have to be the guy that – gets the goal when they desperately need it. And we know the Finns are a hard, you know, hard team to play against. They're feisty. They have excellent work ethic. Uh, they play a very good structured team game. Um, and, you know, they've been known to, you know, win some really tight games, but they need the clutch goal scoring. And when I look at this roster, it's the first name that comes to my mind is Kamel has to be their clutch goal scorer in those very difficult situations. Yeah, Kemmel's got that that wonderful offensive energy you look for, where he's willing to try to to get the carry the team on his back. And we saw it at the U18s last season too. He he was that he was that player in U20s. He struggled um, uh, last season, but it's one of those situations where uh, he's he an overcoming an injury. Yeah, and, and an injury. Overcoming a major injury. So he, he was just getting back up and running as, a, as that tournament was happening. So w- with Kemmel, this you know he's had a pretty good season so far. Uh, I, I think he's projecting and tracking actually a little better than his draft position would suggest, which is I'm sure Nashville is, uh, is very happy about. Um, th- this is a real opportunity. The, the thing with Kemmel is that he can be extremely physical and he can be and he can play at a very high intensity. And those are the two traits that I love multidimensional wingers. I love the versatile wingers, the, the wingers that have bite. The, and, and Kimmel fits that description. I, I want to see how he uses that against other star players this tournament uh, and see if he can if he can gain an advantage from it. Uh, but make no mistake, this is their star player in terms of scoring ability. Uh, I, I do prefer I, I personally like this player a lot more than Brad Lambert. I, w- I was not, you know, I'm not done the the Brad Lambert uh, uh, train, so to speak, in terms of thinking he's even a first rounder. Um, so it, it, for me, Kemmel's the guy that's going to have to carry this team in a big way offensively. So it'll be very interesting to see how he does it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because in their first pre-tournament game against the Americans, um, they had Lambert in the middle with Kemmel on the right side and um, Alec Kazamaki on the left. So I'm curious to see if they're going to keep that line together as they start to move through the tournament. Um, Because they seem to have some chemistry and obviously, you know, Kemmel had some bite. So let's talk about Brad Lambert at this tournament. And I felt bad for him last year because he just got maligned, right? Like, like unfairly, like the kid, (laughs) he's 17, 18 years of age. Like, let's simmer down. And I just wonder, I'm curious to see what the impact from his time in Winnipeg and going to a real positive environment and a play in an environment where he's like nurtured and, you know, they're trying to keep him positive and put him in the right direction. How much of that early on with Winnipeg and being with the Manitoba Moose is going to translate for him being positive coming out and playing into this tournament comparative to like seasons past? Well, you, you look at what Winnipeg has done developmentally with other star players coming in the organization. Mark Shifley, Kyle Connors, Nick Ehlers, now Cole Perfetti coming in there, uh, among others. Uh, they've had a lot of success when it comes to uh, 
drawing in and untapping the talent and, and making sure that it is translatable to North American ice. I, I know for some, you, you bring, well, you forgot to mention players like Christian Veselainen. That's, that's yeah. a pretty unique situation where me- mentally, I think there's there's uh, a lot of work to done in, to be done in terms of maturity level, and it just unfortunately never came together in time. But uh, Brad Lambert, um, Brad Lambert is a special talent, right? If you if you didn't know who he was and you saw him go through the neutral zone, you go, there's no way that's not a star player in the base. There's a special, special skating base there. One of the best skaters I've, I've ever, I've ever scouted, right? One of the best skaters on this planet already. I uh, can't imagine what he's going to look like 23 going through a neutral zone. So the, the, the point of me bringing up the neutral zone, bring, that, that is the hallmark of his game. He is, if he does not manage to produce offense at the NHL level, he is still going to be a neutral zone possession driver of play. That's that's his neutral zone rates per 60. I brought it up several times in the show. They're going to be Matt Barzell-like, uh, even though maybe he doesn't get nearly the production of somebody like a Matt Barzell. So I bring up that because that's the question. I think Brad Lambert's going to drive possession, and that's going to be a huge factor for Finland because it means they're not staying in their own zone. But will he have the finishing rates that allow him to shine? That's always been the issue with this player. The execution rates, the finishing ability. When Brad Lambert's playing up to his ability, peak performance output is very high end. He can really – I did not have this player as as a first round. I had this player as a third round pick. The item is a third round, top of the third. Uh, the reason I did is because I don't think he play. I think he has the Michael the, the McLeod effect. I call it the, the Michael McLeod effect, where he he can skate like the wind, but he processes the game too slowly for his skating ability. Um, that said, he's in a good system. Winnipeg knows how to develop. I have not seen him on Manitoba. Have they managed to start developing a way where he slows down the game at the right times? If that's the case, and he can sh- he can shine that at this tournament, then then you might really have something here where he dominates this tournament. So it would be very interesting to see his performance. I know, I, I I know that for some listening, you might be like, oh, this guy's critical, or you, you you know, it's a it's a bit unfair talking about players like this. But one thing we try to do on the show is give you a realistic interpretation of player, not well, the hype machine you see online. Well, we try to be and fair. So- and, and we, we understand it's a long like development curve. And then once they go and are drafted by a team, then it's the team's, you know, opportunity to help develop them. And that, and that I agree with you with this in terms of the skating is if he can understand how to skate the game, not just be the fastest skater, but how to skate the game effectively. Like he could, there'll it's be flashes of dominance, dominance right? Because yeah. it's so hard to defend a guy like that. Like, cause when he turns the corner, if you, <laughs> if you, if you're don't have the right gap on him, say goodbye. Like he's a jet. Yeah, he's a, yeah. He literally is a jet, right? He, he, he was is, drafted by the right team. Right. So he, that's he's, where he's got that Beret-esque quality to him when it comes to the skating. The, the thing with it, with Brad is uh, one thing I want to say is I hope he gets 20 points this term. I have nothing, nothing, nothing. Listen, I hope all these kids make it. I hope they all do very well. Right. I just, it's important to bring up uh, the other side of a, prospect where maybe he's struggling a little bit or or areas where he needs to develop because then our listeners get an opportunity to know where he is progressing right and with, with Lambert he can have execution issues with the playmaking despite what you brought up when he turns the corner he's always on balance if you're always on balance you have a better opportunity to make a high-end pass yep. unfortunately his vision sometimes get muddled he is it sometimes he has difficulty deciding if he's going to shoot or he's going to pass a puck let's find out how he does this tournament absolutely and this is the whole purpose of a preview show and it's a whole purpose of watching this whole tournament develop from that standpoint brad and i are going to take a short break but stay with us and we're going to talk about team sweden right after these messages 
prospect news and analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. It's our 2023 World Junior Championship preview show. We're now going to talk about Team Sweden. And for all the listeners out there, if you happen to only catch part of the show, um, you can catch the entirety of this on any podcast network or on Pandora uh, for our Sirius XM listeners as well. So let's talk about a really interesting prospect for the 2023 draft in Axel Sandin Palika. Now sitting beside somebody at, at a pre-tournament game, they've never seen him before play, and they they look over at me and they go, "Wait a minute, who is this kid? Who's this player?" I'm like, "Oh, by the way, he's draft eligible. He's like one of the youngest players on their team." And you notice that he's you know their power play quarterback with four other forwards out there on the first unit. That says something about his level of talent because coaches don't put players in those type of positions if they don't think they can pull that off. So I think this is a tremendously huge opportunity for Axel to come in and really showcase his offensive talents because when you got a right-handed defenseman like that who has that type of offense, it like it makes NHL teams salivate because they're so rare to find that type of player. So I know he was somebody that you, you know, we talked about already on the show. So let's talk about him again and the opportunity for him on team Sweden and at this tournament. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the upside of this player. I think, uh, yeah, as you said, it's super rare to find really offensive defensemen. They can also really skate, but uh, he, he's the thing that's really interesting about Palika is that he he's, I, I would not label him as soft. He, he, he does, he He's got some bite. Has, he has a bit of bite to him. There's a dimension to him. And I think that dimension is on tap because I think when he when he when he fills out his frame, when he gets stronger, when he get when he matures physically, I think that the power, the natural genetics in this kid in terms of the ability to to explode. I think if he can harness that, uh, he already harnesses it through his skating base with neutral zone, harnesses it offensively. If he can harness it defensively, he becomes a two hundred foot player. Now we're really talking, right? Well, that, he's not the, small. Like he's five no, eleven. At, at no, this point, he's five eleven, and he's one hundred and eighty pounds. So, like, and he's seventeen yeah, years of age. Um, so, yeah. like, look, there's lots of room for him. He could still grow another inch in a bit. He could still yeah. put on another fifteen, twenty six pounds. Feet, six feet one ninety sounds fine to me. You know, yeah, he can. He can be six, You can hold. Yeah, yeah, six feet one ninety five. Like for a kid like that, with that type of skating ability and that in like yeah. hockey sense. Yeah. That's not a problem yeah, for me. That's not a problem, no. So the, the other thing about this player that's pretty special is the shooting ability. You know, every year you, you get one or two defenses that really stand out to you because the shot is just mechanically at a different level. Rasmus Dillon was like that, for instance. Right. Another is Adam Boquist. Now, Bo- Boquist has, has struggled to get his foot in the NHL, but make no mistake, the kid's shot is lethal. Incredible shooter uh, with his wrist shot. You know, catch and release is, is, is there. Uh, so it's – Palika has the, the, the un – the, the atypical uh, attribute uh, uh, ranking of him where his shot is just as good as a passing, which is very rare for a defense. Right. right? Yeah, well, of course. So, so really the, the way you look at it is he's played the SHL level. So he's played up a level. He's used to that pace of play already to, to a degree. He plays out of Schlefke's system. If, if, you're, if anyone listeners wondering, the same system that Elias Salomonson that, that the Winnipeg drafted is from. Salomonson, the reason I bring it up, Salomonson would normally be playing huge minutes this tournament but he, he's, he's injured right now and that means that Palika gets more opportunity as a result of that 
That, yeah, that, when that's I saw him play, he was the number one power play quarterback. That's right. right? And that, that would probably be uh, Solomon's responsibility at this event if he was to play, uh, depending on how his play would, uh, uh, if his play warranted. But uh, Palika, this is a huge tournament for Palika. This because J20, I'm going to be all due respect to J20. I, I love Sweden. I love the Swedes. And I think they have phenomenal development systems. I, you know, you look at uh, uh, what your garden is in terms of always cranking out prospects and Rogla's system uh, for, for making sure that they, the way they develop more sire second to none, right? Uh, for London, one of the most historic franchises in hockey. Uh, that said, J20, specifically J20, there's not much structure in J20. You have to kind of do what you want. As you're, if you're talented, as talented as Bleak is in J20, you do what you want. And yeah. so because of that, it can go Great. a little sideways, right, yeah. in, in terms of defensive development at times. So this, this is an opportunity where he can really showcase where he is uh, defensively. And that's, that's that and his, his exit rates and his, his playmaking, stretch playmaking are, are going to be where I'm really focused on. Let's talk about another draft eligible player in Leo Carlson. And I think this is a really great opportunity for the general public to see Leo Carlson. So we talk about him on the show, but the general hockey fan isn't really as tuned in to the draft eligible players like we are until really the world juniors comes, right? This is really, if you can get a player like Leo Carlson, this is a bit of a showcase for him as well. And that's why we, you know, we had the early conversations about, you know, Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson of that, that, group of three against each other. So let's talk about Leo Carlson's opportunity at this tournament. Well, it's, a, it's your point. You know, so some of our listeners probably have never heard of him before. I guarantee you're going to know his name shortly. It's he's, he's not, if he doesn't go top three in the draft, I would be very surprised. Let's put it that way. Very, very surprised right now. I, I for my money, I think he's right there with Bedard. Uh, I think there's aspects to him that are more, unique and more interesting long-term in terms of projection. I know some of you are like, oh yeah. He's no, but it's, it's I agree. there's that size yeah, skill yeah. skating. But like, like it's, when it's, you're so, six, so he, he's six, three. He, he's six, six, three. He's actually almost six, four apparently now. Like yeah. a uh, Swedish scout, Johan uh, Lindemann Carlson over there. He gets to watch him live all the time. He told me he thinks he's closer to six, four now. So uh, I'll get to see him live in March, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, so maybe I'll run up to him and try to <laughs> grab tape measuring and see where he's at. But uh, the, the thing with Leo here, I'll, I'll grab everyone's attention really quickly. This might be the next Leon Dreisaitl. There you go. <laughs> so that's what you need to know. He, he might just be the next Leon Dreisaitl. This kid is a special talent. There is one factor that I want to see from him this event. He's, he's considered a, a, a fantastic kid with a, a reserved and sometimes quiet demeanor. I want to see that when things are on the line, does he have the Bedard takeover mentality? What is what is the energy he's going to have at this event? How is he going to dictate at this event? Because I can sit here and tell you he could be the next line on dry side, and it's true, but it's not going to it's not going to develop if he doesn't have the mentality for it. You know, I I uh, I recently um, uh, uh, did an did an audio segment for my my the, the scouting school I'm building. Brian Wilsey uh, uh, gave me his time, and. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me that Brian talked about with development, he said, mentality is everything. Mentality is everything, right? And that's it. it, it Dreisaitl has the mentality to be what he is. Does Leo Carlson. Let's find out. The U20 is going to be a huge showcase for him. Well, we talk about that, you know, with Dr. Kevin Willis and obviously with Pat Malloy as well. And we bring up the mental attributes of drive and how critical that is to 
separating yourself because the talent pool is so tight in terms of talent. The separation for me is always mental. It's always mental and emotional. That's what pushes those police players apart. So you don't have to be robust and bang and crash to have that drive, right? Just to say in your head, okay, I'm taking over. Enough of this. En- enough of this. This is what's happening, right? So I want to see if he can he, he can show that as well with you. It's really about can you take over? We've seen it from Bedard, and we want to see it from, you know, Fantilli, and then we want to see it from him, from Carlson as well. So intrigued to see what he does at this tournament. Uh, one last player we'll talk about before we head off to break is Fabian Lysel. And the reason why, you know, I think we should really discuss him is that, is he really the cog? We talked about Joachim Kamel out of Finland. Is he the Swedish version of that where they're going to have to really lean on him as the, the, the straw, the stirs the drink offensively, right? There's a lot of other like skilled players around him, but he's a guy who's played, you know, pro in the American league as well. And how much of that he's going to bring able to bring into, to this environment. And how, like, I think the team is really going to look to him for, to be that offensive catalyst. Well, not so dissimilar to Logan Cooley in some ways in terms of offensive instincts, in terms of, he's not the playmaker Cooley is, but in terms of wanting to be a possession driver, wanting to draw and manipulate the first layer, wanting to use that as an access point to find his teammates in transition or rip a puck down the wing. That is Fabian Lysel's game. Uh, Fabian Lysel, the, the reason, he's a very talented player. The reason that he was he dropped to Boston is because he is more error prone than even Cooley is. Or he's he's right there with Brad Lambert, I would I would argue, in terms of error rates. Um, there are also times where he doesn't take advantage of his skating base. Doesn't his spatial awareness uh, doesn't reflect what could be if he was to be able to take advantage of it consistently. That doesn't mean he can't make brilliant plays. It doesn't mean he doesn't find a space. It does he does find them. It's just not as consistently as you would like. Right. So I have not seen Fabian Lysel um, very often since his draft season. Right, he played out of the Vancouver Giants system. This is his first year uh, playing uh, pro hockey in the AHL. Um, you know, he played in the SHL in his draft year, but this this first real real time where he's had to become an established pro. That could be a huge difference here if he's learned to rein in his game. That that was all with 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 his development was always about how how much offense can you draw with how much of his game you you can rein in so he doesn't become a liability on the ice. He's going to have to be that at this event. He's going to have to be, as you said. He's going to have to be the straw that stirs the drink, but he's going to have to do it in a way where the, the drink doesn't uh, spill out of the cup and ruin your pants, right? Like he's got yeah. to make it so that there's, there's a balance in fact here uh, because he's going to be he's super important. Uh, one thing I love about Fabian is that he's a big game player. The U18 he's not afraid. Really want to be the difference, right? Not afraid. Not afraid fearless, at fearless all. Player. Yeah. Fearless kid. So let, let's see how he does with that. I, you know, it's, it's one thing I'll say about this tournament. All these ter- players we're talking about, so much speed and talent. The amount of skill we're going to see in transition, it's going to be a fantastic tournament to watch. Can't wait to see it. Well, I mean, just my opportunity to see the pre-tournament games, it's like it's going to be up and down, up and down the rink. There, this is down, not yeah, going to be a slow tournament. And there's going to be, you know, it's going to be like jets screaming up and down the ice. And it's just I, it's just impressive to see this level of skill. And, you know, we just try to find that have a, a, a fair and balanced approach to the players that we're talking about. Cause we know they're still in right in the beginning stages of a lot of their development. We're going to take a quick break on hockey prospect radio. Stay tuned for hour two on our world junior championship preview show right after these important messages. 
Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championship preview show. We're now going to talk about Team Chechia. And right off the hop, Brad, uh, let's talk about Edward Saleh because going into this season, um, obviously he's very well thought of as a prospect, but, you know, you have to play the games. You got to see what happens. And then, you know, your thoughts of his game through, you know, the first two and a half months of his season in Brno. And Brno hasn't been the strongest team uh, this year, which is unusual. Generally, they're they're pretty strong. Um, And they make the playoffs and they have a really solid team. And I don't know if necessarily that's the fact this year and how much of that is affecting Edward Saleh's game. And we have to, you know, remember he's 17, right? Like he's a 17 year old. So thoughts on his play so far and then what's expected of him with Chechia because, you know, he's a highly talented player and they're going to have to lean on him for some offense. Absolutely. He's the most talented check, check forward out of anyone in that group with all due respect to at least a forward at the forward position. Right. So when you look at Soleil, you know, Garrett, like consensus top 15 pick you see out there for my viewings, he's been honestly very, very poor. Very poor play. The, I liked him in the U18s, but I didn't love him. I, I've seen him play uh, when he was even playing uh, at 15 and 16 down in, in uh, Chechia junior, junior system. So I want to see if the things that I'm worried about are still something I have to worry about by the end of this term. <laughs> for me, that's, that's what I'm looking for is, is there are certain aspects of this player that, that I'm – I need to see uh, develop or, or, or at least showcase at a higher rate. For instance, one of the biggest issues I've had with this player I mentioned on the show is that most brilliant gifted offensive players that you talk about in the top 15 of a draft are capable of manipulating the first defensive layer by being the first to act. You, you are the one, the Masashi, I recall it, the Masashi effect we talk about on the show yeah. all the time. Uh, you want to force the defenseman in, into taking the wrong lane. You want to yeah. force them in, in, into overreacting to your movement and to, your, to, to what you're doing. Edward Soleil, he is playing up in extra league in Chechia, which means he's always up against experienced defensemen who are older, more mature than him, which means I get it. It's not going to always work for him. That right. said, even at the junior, mm-hmm. even when he's playing against players that are just slightly older than him, he has struggled with that concept. This will be an opportunity to see if he can overcome some of that, if he, if he can showcase it. The other aspect is uh, – He's had some difficulty. He's a very creative playmaker, but I have found that uh, his execution rates overall this season, when I've seen him play up in extra league, has been very mixed. Uh, I want to see him execute a higher rate. I want to see him. I, I want to see him dictate and dominate some of these games. I, I, I've not seen that from him again. Going back even to the U18s, like gifted playmaker, gifted thinker, 200 foot player. But there's uh, the, my colleague Jerome Brube. He, he has a great word choice for this. He can be too vanilla, too bland, despite being very talented and creative at times. Let's get some consistency here. This is an opportunity to see if he can get that. Yeah, I'm curious to see, you know, and I always find that these national tournaments are potential springboards. You know, just sort of like refresh yourself, recharge yourself, like get yourself out into a different environment with all your peer group, 
like friends that you've played with at a younger age and just feel invigorated again and start to feel good about your game again. So I'm curious to see if Edward Sally is going to do that. Uh, let's talk about David Juracek. Now, he is expected to be the best defenseman on this team and one of the best defensemen in this entire tournament. And if the, if Chechi is expected to be the potential upset team in this tournament, to knock one of the, uh, the what we talk about, really the big four, off the perch, David Juracek's basically going to have to like envelop and take away the best line that he faces. He's gonna just got. He's gonna have to shut him down. So whether he's end up having to face the Canadians or the Americans or the Finns or the Swedes, he's gonna have to like basically obliterate that first line and just don't let them have the access to the front of the net and to in transition that they would normally have with other teams. He's really gonna have to be it. He's gonna have to be the man. And I'm curious to see if he can if he can do that in this tournament. Yeah, I think he's. I'm not. You know, it sounds like I'm putting a lot of pressure on him, but you know, if you look at the Czech, you know, defense, he's really he like he's so far ahead of the other defensemen in terms of overall talent that that's that you're gonna we're gonna have to th- that's gonna be thrown upon his shoulders overall. And I'm curious to see what you you know what you think about that that amount of pressure that's gonna be on him. Well, you know, it, it, was, it was it was such a sad situation last season where he looked fantastic against Canada for the first 10 minutes he was on the ice. And then unfortunately he had that, he had that uh, a horrible injury uh, occur and they took him out of the lineup for several months there. So his U twenties was stripped from him. It's an opportunity yeah. for him to finally get to showcase him uh, himself at this event. Uh, first and foremost, the other aspect that's, that's fascinating about this player is uh, it's funny online. You see him labeled everything, shutdown defenseman at the pro level, offensive defenseman at the pro level, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything well-rounded 200 foot player. Uh, so I think the best way to label this, this player is that I think he's a 200 foot player that thrives when the game gets more physical and, and yes. that's becoming yeah. more of a rarity. And I think that's exactly why Columbus, one of the reasons that Columbus trapped him is Columbus identified that their defense was soft, which was outside Andrew peak before they drafted him. It was soft and they signed Erica Branson in the off season. Now they bring in Eurocheck, right? They're trying to round out and get much more, uh, physical when the games get training. nasty or the yeah, intensity goes up, he's a guy who yeah. can handle it. That's exactly right. That's what David Turacek is, and that's exactly what he's going to have to be at this event. That said, for the people who think he's more shut down defenseman at the pro level, I would I very much respectfully disagree with you. I agree. Uh, yeah, of, I agree with is, that too. This is a very, very gifted offensive player. I believe I've seen a ton of this player uh, internationally. Um, I've, I've seen him at uh, all sorts of, of world championship preparation tournament events. I've seen him. I've seen him play everywhere, and uh, there's a ton of offensive potential in this player. I think you're going to see a lot of it this event. For the people who think he's a shutdown guy, prepare to be surprised. He's going to—I think he's going to be very good here. Uh, the, the, the question is, and uh, it's what we brought up with with, with uh, Rick Nash when when he came on was, That's right. how are the pivoting rates? Because everything you just mentioned it. This game's going to be north-south transition, up and down, up and down. Well, that's where he struggled. That was where he projects to be struggling to a degree at the pro. Though again, you can always you know, always develop that. And Rick has said he's already starting to develop that at the AHL level. He's already has NHL games. There's one of the few players at this whole tournament that has NHL reps. That's going to really pay dividends for him. That's why usually when you see a player that has NHL games come down to U20, they absolutely dominate because there's so much. They've adapted to such a high pace of play, right? They've adapted to the highest pace of play. So I expect Eurocheck to be absolutely dominant in this event, and it should it should really showcase well for him. Curious to get your thoughts on on Yuri Kulich and 
he's going to be another guy that, you know, obviously the, the Cheshire is going to lean on heavily offensively, but he's a player who brings so much energy. And he's another guy who's playing in the American Hockey League with Rochester and as like a rookie in the American League as an 18 year old and having to watch, you know, his film you have to be impressed with what he's done there early on and how much of that confidence is he going to take into this tournament and recognize, well, look, if I can do it at the American level, I can do it here. Just for him, I think the key is not try not to do too much. You know what I mean? Like he knows he can do it, but you have line mates too, right? You got to be able to utilize those line mates and not take it on upon himself. And I think if he can sort of like it's compartmentalize himself and understand that, I think, you know, he's going to be a top end player for Chechen. and he's going to have to, again, he's going to have to be a real clutch goal scorer and producer for them when they really need it, particularly on the power play. When those, when those type of goals are going to be really critical for Chechia to, for them to force an upset, to get into that top four. Yeah, absolutely. He's an explosive transitional rush player, which bodes well for, for that style at this event. Uh, the, the thing with Kulik is, you know, I want when he was playing in extra Liga, I never imagined what he would develop, what, what he would showcase the U18s last season. You know, I, I capped his ceiling and you know, I, I thought coming in the, into the U18s last season was more of a third, third line, uh, uh, or top nine forward. And that was yeah. kind of how I looked at him. And then the U18s happened. And I was like, holy, okay. Well, like, <laughs> he's running the occasional show. He's, he's, he's got middle six and, the question I have is, okay, out of any player I tracked last season, any player I evaluated last season, uh, sometimes I take uh, special cases. If there's something that's really, when I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a raw scout, meaning I very rarely look at analytics unless I absolutely have to. Uh, with him, I started to make, track my, my own data. And one thing I did with him was I looked at his high danger passes uh, and I tracked all of them, literally all of them. He had the lowest success rate out of any player. Now, there's a cat, there is an asterisk that he was, playing up in extra league, which means if you take take that sample relative to a junior player, it's not going to be close, right? He's not on the ice enough, and he's not going to get nearly as many opportunities offensively. Right. The other is that at U18s, he was the most successful with his playmaking, which is not uncommon, but it was still way, way below average. My question at this event, from a scouting perspective, from a development perspective, is what is he going to look like as a playmaker? That's the question, because the rest is there. He's an explosive, powerful skater. He's a fantastic shooter. He, everybody's seen how dangerous his wheelhouse one-timer is, right? You, you set this kid up, he's, he's, he's automatic at times. So the, the question is, can he make his teammates better, not just by dry, drawing in the defense, not by magnetizing the defense to him, uh, giving them space, which he can do. It's, can he pass the puck to them with the frequency required where he looks more like a top six winger long-term? Right, and I think it really comes down to how he utilizes the give-and-go. I think that is his bread and butter because he's Absolutely. so quick yeah. and he's a shooter to him. His passing has to be in a give and go situation. That's where he, it, it makes him better um, and makes his line mates better to just direct. You don't have to hold and look for all these different plays. Just give and go. Just yeah, it doesn't, doesn't have to be. You're right. He's, he's a bit more streamlined and that's not a negative trait sometimes, especially if you have a brilliant toolkit. I don't mind when Cutter Goche, for instance, is streamlined. That's same, okay. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so, six, he one of the best skaters. Uh, out of that class and built like a horse. Yeah, go right. down and do a give it a go. Let, That's basic. Yeah, no let, problem with it. Yeah, let the right. puck let the puck do the work for you from that standpoint. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Team Slovakia at the World Junior Championships right after these messages. <laughs> 
You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 NH- um, almost said NHL World Junior Championship preview. Uh, we're going to talk about Team Slovakia next. Um, I'm actually really appreciate the consistent development of their prospects, particularly over the last three or four or five years. So a tremendous amount of like kudos to uh, their national programs and, you know, Miroslav Satan uh, really pushing forward because I think the Slovaks are coming back, uh, not only to this tournament, but overall. And, you know, I think a perfect example of that was last year's draft. And one of the players, uh, you know, in that was Simon Nemec, who, you know, like we talked about previously, you know, for the for Chechia, like, like with David Juracek, you know, Simon Nemec is going to have to be the number one defenseman and he's going to have to shut down every top line that he faces, but then provide offense too. like he's going to have to be everything. He's going to probably play 30 minutes a game. Um, and it's the one of the only ways they're going to be able to, like, cause a potential upset. One of their goalies is going to have to get hot. And Simon Nevich is going to have to be the best defenseman at this tournament for the Slovaks to like push themselves over the top. There's a lot of underlining talent, but on their defense core, I think he's just so far above everybody else. The coaching staff is going to lean on him heavily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To, to your point, I mean, he's going to have to have one of those MVP caliber performances to keep Slovakia afloat. I think at this event, um, yeah, it's, He's, you know, he's a special prospect. There's a reason he was taken number two overall. He's brilliant talent. There was, there was a debate uh, among everybody, including myself, and internally I went back and forth, flipped them around over and over, and that's Juracek, Minchikov, or name it, who do you take? And, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be fa- – as a scout, one thing scouts don't like to tell you very often, but I'll tell you, is that we don't get an opportunity to see the, the players that we ranked very often unless they're in your system. I don't have a system, so right. you know, I don't get that opportunity very often. Unless, obviously, if they're playing for a team with another prospect there, or if they're to me like one of those unique case studies in the game where it's like, I really want to monitor this player. This player is unique. I need to monitor him. Like Elmer Soderblom would be an example of that, or Ilya Fedotov, uh, second, uh, Julian Lutz, uh, Arizona, both second round picks. There were two others, right? Um, so <laughs> for me, I don't get to see Simon Nabich play in the NHL. I, I've heard about how he's doing. But that's nothing compared uh, to actually getting to watch him myself. You know, right? and so, that's why I watch American League all the time, right? Because you just get, we yeah, have to watch yeah. them progress, right? As they get through it. the American yeah. League, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you want to see the progression with certain players. I, uh, fortunately, with Namich, I haven't had an opportunity. So for me, uh, the, the big thing with Namich, I know for some of you, you're like, wow, I never heard of this. But I, believe me when it's true, I'm not the only one that thinks it, was that the, the, the problem with this game was that offensively he would be too reliant making plays from stationary positions. He's too static at the line at times. Now, this does not mean in any capacity that he cannot drive possession from the line and be an offensive line catalyst. Okay, he can quarterback a power play. He can make brilliant plays where he is mobile from the line. I am just saying that he had a tendency in his draft year where he would would fall back. I would call it like a fallback state of thinking. Because he can get away with it. Well, he was thinking pass first so often, yeah. right? He's he's a pass first player. He he wants to always incorporate his team because that he would he would he, when you look at brilliant offensive defensemen, when you look at Quinn Hughes, the Kale McCars, well, what's the first thing that they do? They incorporate their mobility first. They use lateral cutbacks. They exaggerate their posture. They they make sure to manipulate that first line. 
Namich wouldn't set it up that way sometimes. That's what I want to see from him at this tournament. That's where I want to really hone in and see where he is offensively from the line because he's brilliant in transition. He's a brilliant activator. He's excellent in taking and evaluating risk. That was the huge difference between him uh, relative to Minchikov and Juracek. He was the safest player. That's why he went number two in my estimation is because he was the one that was guaranteed to play the heavy minutes, the fastest. He had an accelerated curve relative to them defensively. He understood how to mitigate risk relative to where Juracek and Minchikov did not. Right? There was more structure in him at that age. He's a more mature player. Will that maturity showcase itself at this event in a way that it has to in order for Slovakia to be, to be successful? Yeah, I'm curious to see how that plays out for him uh, in that respect. It's going to be fascinating like to watch a player go into the American League, come back out, play in this tournament, go back in, and how that affects his, his development and his confidence from that standpoint. Let's talk about a, a 2023 draft-eligible player in Delbor, Dvorsky, and thoughts on him. Like He's a, he's a big horse. He's 17. He's already 6'1", over 200 pounds. Uh, played in Sweden, uh, which is always intriguing as well, um, in in AI case uh, system. Thoughts on him and what he could potentially do at this tournament, how it could help him in terms of his, you know, how scouts view him um, and the opportunity presents himself because, yes, you know, I think the Slovaks have some offensive players, but he's going to play, you know, pretty high in their lineup because he's a talented player. Like, I think he's going to end up, he'll be their second line center. And he was in the game that I saw. He was on uh, centering Adam Sikora and, and Alex uh, Cerniak. So thoughts on him as an overall player and, the you know, the potential opportunity for him as a second line center for the Slovaks. Well, he's, uh, let's let's bring both of them in together because they both really matter. This is a huge tournament as well. So Dalbert Dvorsky and you mentioned Alex Cerniak. Okay, so Dvorsky, let's start with him. The thing with Dvorsky, is that uh, last year, uh, the big concern was, I, I can I compare him skating base-wise, specifically skating base-wise, to Alexander Paravalov, which was Carolina's second-round pick. Right. Meaning, mechanically, mechanically incorporates good posture, he has good depth, he has good three-point flexion, he has tri- stride depth, but but he lacked power. Peak power output was, was, was below average. Not a very explosive player. You mentioned that he was a heavy set, heavy built kid. That's right. Sometimes it takes him a bit longer um, with their weight training to, to get them the reps where they're more explosive. Fast forward to the season, the first month I saw still more Alexander Paravalov, but now in Elsvenski, I feel way more comfortable with him. My last four or five viewings, I've watched all of this player a lot because this this is a this is a player that's a, a, a bit uh, in terms of if I if you took ten scouts. And you pulled them. They'd be all over the map, I think, with Dalibor Dvorsky. Um, the reason I bring that up is because there's questions about can he maintain the pace necessary to be a center long term? And can the skate is the skating base where it needs to be? And is he competitive enough? Is there enough, is there enough uh, effort level from him when it comes to that second, third effort level plays where he needs to take pucks out of the corner, where he needs to remain strong on pucks coming off the walls, where he needs to uh, you know, physically engage with the player and make sure he overpowers them. I think those questions have per- personally been answered out of Elsvenskin already, but I'd love to see it happen again here at the U20s to help solidify that. Uh, he is a brilliant playmaker. The way that he operates in terms of how he thinks the game, how he passes the puck, reminds me a lot of Paul Stastny at the same mm, uh, Not just the same age, but just, right. just in terms of functionality, especially the neutral zone. You mentioned earlier how uh, your sec might need to keep his game a bit uh, more simplified, just rely more on give-and-go sequences and transition. That is Dvorsky as well. Dvorsky is very good 
at uh, creating give and go sequences, and he's exceptional at adaptively processing, evaluating where his teammates are on the ice with limited time and space. That's going to be tested here, so it's going to be very interesting to monitor that quality. I think he's a 200-foot center. I think he does a pretty good job on the back check, and he's going to have to be doing a whole lot of that at this event. So that will be very interesting as well to monitor. With Alex Yernick, brilliant skater. There's, there's, I would give him the Isaac Howard label uh, stylistically in terms of he's gifted, he's fantastic in transition, but he lacks attention to detail, and he has a lot of difficulty sometimes being able to handle himself along the walls. This is an event where he can showcase if he's developing that quality. Uh, Sianic, in my viewings, has been very, very mixed. Uh, he was uh, internally uh, among our staff, our hockey prospect. There's a lot of back and forth about what this player actually is. So hopefully the U20s can help solidify what we actually think of Alex Sianic, uh, but very gifted technical player in some ways, brilliant skater. I've got a couple minutes left. Let's talk about Samuel Honzik. And he, uh, when I saw him play in the pre-tournament game, he was on the left side uh, between uh, Petrosky and uh, Philip Messar. So playing on the top line. Uh, thoughts on him uh, playing on the wall and, and for the tournament. We've got a couple minutes left. Honzik is a player where you look at, at scouts, all we do is project. He's a long-term projection. So there are, there are raw qualities in terms of how he operates. Uh, I remember bringing this up on radio before, just in case of uh, our beautiful listeners missed the, the, that segment. The, the way Hansik operates is that he he is a, a dual threat. He can he can rip a puck. Uh, he can also pass, though, and he, and he has good hands. And what, what I want from him is to operate and use his frame. He's a big, big athletic player, strong player, 6'3". Well, not overly strong. He's more powerful than strong. But 6'3", 200 pounds, can skate like the wind. Use that base to get in high danger areas and use the net more often. That's been the primary issue for him in his uh, in his first uh, season here in the WHL. First taste of, of smaller ice surface. He he tends to be over reliant on the shot quality from distance. Let's see if that's the case here at the U twenties. In my last sample, which is the most recent sample I've had, the more recent games he's had, he is starting to show that he he's he's developing that well-rounded offensive skill set where he takes advantage of the whole offensive zone. I want to see that at this event. The U-20s is going to be a huge opportunity for him to show that he's dangerous down low around the net area. And, and we have him very high. We have him top 10 right now. We think there's a tremendous amount of potential. Um, but that, you know, depending on how he does here, that could change for our next rankings. Well, it'll be interesting to see because he's on the wall that his game will be a little bit simplified. And he doesn't have as much responsibility defensively. And having that, does he go to the net and, do some of the things that you're talking about um, because he has less responsibility. I think that's really interesting to see how that sort of plays out for him. And then you talk about that versatility, which we, you know, we love the Swiss army knife, a guy who can play in the wall, can play in the middle um, because in the NHL, that's what the coaches are, are looking for. So, you know, it's an opportunity for him to do those things because of the position he's being put in, particularly in the first line, because he's obviously going to get the ice time, but then he's going to get the power play time too. So curious to see where, you know, he's going to be in a different position than he would obviously be in junior as well. So, but Brad and I are going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned and we'll continue to talk about the World Junior Championships right after these important messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering your largest video and library 
of teams and leagues worldwide. This is our World Junior Championship preview show. We're going to talk about Team Switzerland and Team Germany in this segment. And let's talk about Liam Bichel right off the top because of those two teams. He's the most intriguing and potentially the most dominant uh, defenseman in this tournament that we really don't talk, we may not talk about, or maybe people won't realize uh, because of his unique skill set of being this absolute mastodon. Like he's a dinosaur of a human being at 18 years of age, but you know, his mobility and, and his way he can dominate and intimidate is going to be absolutely critical for the Swiss. If they're going to have any level of success of even like maybe even winning a game, a lot of that, like we talked about pressure being put on one number one defenseman. Well, Lean Bichel, the pressure is really going to be on him heavily. Yeah, he he was uh, in an unfortunate situation uh, last tournament where you know, he only got an opportunity to play play in a game, one game, right? Yeah. So, uh, and he was terrible in that game. <laughs> it was against Russia. It was one of the worst games I saw that season. Of him. Uh, that said, I love the prospect doing wrong, but. Uh, this is a this is a a very interesting tournament for Bixell in the sense that you're right he has to be absolutely a true number one here uh, and carry this team, um, but it will give it an opportunity to see where he's at with his retrieval rates because he's going to yes. be doing a lot of that. There's going to be a whole lot of retrieving, <laughs> so a whole lot of trying to exit under pressure, and uh, it's it's going to be let's let's I know that there's no fighting allowed at this tournament, but something tells me <laughs> <laughs> that might right happen. <laughs> Maybe creating some chaos once or twice uh, to to try to keep the, the Swiss afloat here. Uh, I, Big Cell, you know, for, for any listeners who didn't get to hear about him last year when we were discussing him, like the, this kid's from the 70s. You know, he's from the, the glory days for some people who call him the 70s yeah. hockey, where, uh, yeah, he takes no prisoners. Uh, he's a throwback in a number of ways, but he also is very unique in the sense that he's he's going to be one of those modern day shutdown guys where he can actually he can really move the puck and activate through the neutral zone. And there's actually untapped potential in the offensive zone. Occasionally, he'll really surprise you. There, he's not going to be you know forty point player in the NHL or anything, but don't be shocked if he puts up okay numbers at the NHL level. And it, it, the reason that Dallas is getting him because uh, I guess for for Dallas fans, uh, he's there's some similarities to Hackenpaw. Hits like hits everything in sight. He's massive. He, he can he can shut down everybody. Uh, and, yeah. and but there, there's more offense than Hackenpaw. That's well, stylistic. Hackenpaw doesn't have right uh, for, for the Dallas fans. Yeah. It's really you Dallas know fans. remember Darian Hatcher, right? Like and it, Richard Makvichuk. That's the type of demon you're going to get, but way more mobile. Than those two gentlemen, yeah. right? No disrespect, but you know, Michelle's a better skater, and he's one of the like. I understand why Dallas went after him, and I commended him for it because he's a unicorn type of defenseman. They just don't exist anymore, you know. Particularly one who can play in a top four role like that, right? Who can end up being the insulator for like a top level defenseman, offensive defenseman. So uh, I'm curious to see how he handles the the stuff we know he's good at. How does he handle the stuff that you know, maybe is not his always his bread and butter. I think that's going to be yeah, interesting. It's, it's absolutely that. It's 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 sometimes he can be very mixed with his execution rates, just with his with his playmaking. So some of his some just basic skill sets can break down on him occasionally. Um, it will be interesting to see if that happens at this event or not. Let's talk about Brian Zanetti because uh, on the Swiss defense, he's a draft pick of the Philadelphia Flyers. It's basically going to be him and Bichelle 
like going against the top lines. So I'm curious to see how, you know, Zanetti's going to handle that situation and that type of workload. I think it's going to be really fascinating and it's going to give the Philadelphia Flyers fans and the organization like another glimpse at, okay, what, what's his capabilities? How did he handle this situation mentally and emotionally with all this level of stress? And he's going to play a lot more minutes. So uh, like your thoughts on him and the opportunity for him, because like, he's a big kid too. He's six three, two hundred pounds. Like he's not small yeah. either, right? So, you know, the penalty kill is going to be not a fun place to go in front of the net. I'm curious to watch you get Liam Bichelle, you get Brian Zanetti against the big forwards of the Americans. You know, of that like ha- handling the Rutger McGordys and and the Goches and you know the Snuggerudes of of the world on Team USA and how do those two big behemoth defensemen battle those big power forwards? Well, in Zanetti's case. I felt he's developed pretty well when I've seen him in the OHL. I haven't seen him a ton, but I've, I've seen him enough where I'm like, oh, okay, he's, he's developed from where he was when I first saw him uh, over in Switzerland in, in the junior system. Uh, the, the thing with Zanetti is that when he's at his best, uh, he's actually playing a quiet game. I mean, he's just efficient. There's a, a well-rounded efficiency to, to Zanetti when he's playing well, and he's going to have to bring that in spades at this event. There's going to be a lot of, as you mentioned, penalty killing too. That's a great point by you. You know, Bixell and Zanetti, they're going to have to penalty kill a lot. Okay, that's let's not mix words there. They're, they're going to yeah. be they're going to be hemmed in their own zone a lot. They're going to be on the penalty kill a lot, and they're going to need these these two big defensemen to really step up and get in lanes and shut down, as you mentioned, some of the bigger forwards on these these other uh, in these other systems, other in these other uh, countries. You know, the Americans they got some big power forwards. Snugroot isn't small either. Goche, uh, yeah. you, you got Fentili. Fentili is just human dynamite, is what I call him. Like he's just he's just a whirlwind to deal with. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, how how much they hold, you know, in, in terms of the, just the defensive ability. But both both have range, too. Zanetti has a lot of range. He has a good stick. You know, Zanetti, I think he has an underrated stick. He's, his stick instincts are solid. He's going to really need them. He's going to have to intercept some pucks. And uh, one thing that's going to be very interesting to monitor is that these defensemen, when they need to play a stylistic shutdown game, they can, but they're going to be relied upon offensively here which right. should be very interesting to see how much they activate and try to join that rush and, and try to help their offense, right? Uh, because they're going to have to. I think they're going to really have to. Uh, and and, and do they get gun-shy? Do they get gun-shy if that doesn't turn out well? Like partway through mm-hmm. the tournament, they realize, okay, we can't activate, but it, you know, it's, it's just so risky for us that they end up playing more of a trap style just to try to stay in games. We'll see how that sort of plays out, yeah. too. Yeah. We should talk about, as well as Julian Lutz uh, for Germany, second-round pick of the Arizona Coyotes. And, you know, Germany is going to lean heavily on Julian Lutz a lot. And, you know, I remember you and I talking about him a lot coming into the draft and thoughts on this opportunity for Julian to lead Team Germany into the World Juniors offensively. Yeah, Julian, for me, one of the dark horses of, of last the last class. Uh, I've, I've really thought highly of this player for a while. I had him top 32 uh, heading into the last year's draft for, for a long time. Um, Julian, the problem was he didn't play last year very often. He had a yeah. major, major back injury. Uh, that affected him. But at the U18s against Canada, you got to see what, what the untapped version is. He can be very dangerous offensively when he's on his game. Uh, had some excellent shifts against the States at the U18s as well. Uh, this year has been more of the same. He's been injured a lot. Uh, he's only gotten back recently uh, in Munich in, with Munich. And I found his game so far to be, 
inconsistent, which is not unexpected given yeah. how little playing yes. time he's had, right? Um, he's going to have to be absolutely a driving force here for Germany if Germany's to do anything. Julian Lutz is by far the most talented German player on this team. Uh, you, you know, he's only projectable top six potentially top six uh, for Germany has that can actually reach the NHL. And he has a fantastic toolkit. Uh, handling ability second to none. When you look at it from handling, skating, power aspect, he's phenomenal uh, in tight. Even the DL level, he's already giving defensive fits. The problem with Julian Lutz right now is it goes back to last year too, and it has not resolved itself, which is admittedly a little worrying for me uh, since I did, I did rank him pretty aggressively, which is that uh, his execution rates with his playmaking have been, all over the map. And what I mean by execution rates, I don't just mean like technical playmaking ability of like hitting A to B uh, in stride or something like that. I, I mean, uh, you know, when he's spinning off pressure, being able to traject where his teammate's going uh, without seeing him momentarily, that's been off. He, he throws away a lot of his leading passes. Uh, sometimes he just, he's not setting himself up for success despite having uh, the toolkit to do it. So in the DL, he, he's been, He's been inconsistent, and he can't be inconsistent at this tournament. He's going to have to really find his game here and showcase what he did against Canada U18s, uh, just more more prominently. A couple of minutes left. Let's talk about Nikita Kwap. Um, that's pretty much the only goaltender we're talking about in this preview show. Because if Germany has any chance of upsetting anybody in this tournament of like like the top-end teams, Nikita Kwap's going to have to stand on his head and pull really – Remember when Godla did that for Slovakia? You know, he's going to have to do that um, to have the chance. And I'm just curious your thoughts on him because we had discussed him um, going into the draft and after the draft. Yeah, Nikita Kwop is, is probably the best uh, German goalie prospect um, since Nico Dawes in the double system. Nico's half German. Um, but Nico did go to the DL to develop uh, during during the COVID pause, and that's where Quap is developing now. Uh, in his draft season, I didn't get enough footage of him to to even get to rank him. Uh, so he is one I've actually monitored a little bit, uh, not too much. But one thing with with Quap is I was very surprised that they accelerated his development to the DL with what I did see. Uh, I thought he, I thought it was a little too quick uh, in terms of his of his uh, of his development. I, I wanted I wanted him to play in Division Two um, in his draft year, and he didn't. And now, now he is playing Division Two. Uh, I did get to to see him in Division Two, and the first thing I'll say that that really stood out to me relative to his initial draft year to now is that he looks a lot more fluid in net, which is not unsurprising. Six four, two hundred pound goalie is going right. to take time for him to develop the coordination, the dexterity. It's there now, and that is very important for this event because he's going to be dealing with chaos. There's going to be a lot of broken plays when when his defense are attempting to exit. He's going to have to to really rely on his athleticism, uh, and he's and he has he is athletic. Uh, the issue with, with Kwok for me, and the reason I didn't want him in the DL so early, is because I felt he was getting behind the play too often. You know, the, the, just the fundamental aspects of goaltending. You got to be able to to read the play in advance. You got to get in front of the puck. You got to be able to set. He was having difficulty at times with that, especially off of lateral passes. So it, it's that situation now where I feel like he's getting more of an opportunity. He, he did play in the DL this year as well, but it, getting down to refine his game and get more comfortable with the speed of the DL2, I think is huge for him in his development. It'll be interesting to monitor that aspect of him now at the World Juniors. I, I know Pyotr Kachekov is obviously the guy right now in Carolina, but uh, Nikita Kwop's one of those sneaky players where there, there is some real traits there that you want to look for in, in when, you're de- when you're developing a, a pro goalie. Um, he's one I, I'll probably continue to monitor, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how he does at this event. 
We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 World Junior Championship. It's our last segment for our preview show. Uh, we're going to talk about some players from Austria and Latvia. Um, want to get your thoughts, of course, on David Reinbacher, uh, 2023 draft eligible player from Austria. Thoughts on him as, you know, Pretty big defenseman, like 6'2". He's almost 200 pounds, right-handed shot. You know, sometimes we sort of forget that players come out of these regions and they get a, a little bit under uh, appreciated and they kind of go a little bit under the radar. So talk about him coming into this tournament. This is a huge event for him because, you know, a Reinbacker has been playing up in the National League in Switzerland with Colton yes. the whole season. This will be the first opportunity to really monitor him against elite junior competition. Um, so he has been involved in other international tournaments this year already. But th- this is a you know this is the this is the one where he has all, all eyes on him, where we want to see how much how much of uh, him having success in the national league will translate here. Uh, the, the thing with Reinbacker is that yes, he's six two two hundred pounds. He has a good frame and uh, he's physical. He, he is yeah. the uh, yeah, I think I already gave this comparable. I'll give it one more time. I know it's a unique one. It's like, why? He, the way he actually shuts down the guys along the wall, it reminds me of a forward. And it's the small, one of the smallest forwards in the NHL is Kyler Yamamoto. Kyler Yamamoto had the tendency to put everything into his checks. Like, yeah. And he had to, right? Because he was small. So yeah. he physically would drive right through guys, right through the boards uh, to get the result he wanted. What's fascinating about David Reinbacker is that you know, I I feel like somebody's tricked him into thinking he's five six times because he does the same thing. He torpedoes yeah, right he's to a, the base of a player. He's a he's so, a middle linebacker on skates. He is. He's a middle he's a middle linebacker on skates with his instincts for physical play. That's a very good thing, and he's going to have to be very very reliant on it for Team Austria in order to have success. Because when it comes to his rush defense, he's going to have to really race players, not just not just to take away uh, pucks with a stick. Uh, uh, he has to do that too, but he's going to have to really have a a, a, a a lot of versatility within his defensive game, which he does have. However, however, there is an asterisk to this. This is one of the youngest players at this event. He has the frame, but he's not developed the coordination yet in order to take full advantage. Of right. It. Yeah. I think that might be a severe limitation here when he's going up. When his when his triangle is getting uh, getting attacked. So, for instance, say theoretically Connor Bedard comes after him, tries to triangle slip deep, goes from forehand to backhand, and tries to uh, attack the pivoting base of linebacker. I think linebacker might have some issues here. That's what I'm going to really monitor. From a scouting perspective, what I'm going to really monitor is how he deals with exactly. exceptional talented yeah. when when they come down on his triangle and they're trying to tr- create slip deeks, when they're trying to create inside-outside deeks, when they're trying to drive around him. What does he do? Uh, the other aspect with Ryan Backer that's very interesting is that when you have a defenseman that's playing so young in the National League, he's not going to get too many offensive opportunities even though he plays in the power play. It's still – he. I find a lot of defensemen at that age limit themselves almost for – Preferring uh, uh, purposely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they purposely do it because they don't want to make mistakes. They they want to keep things simple. Does Reinbacker have more of a game that's not as simple as we think? If it, if there is, this is an opportunity to showcase a little more of his creativity yeah. at the line. I have found him to be uh, incredibly inconsistent when it comes to handling the puck. 
uh, offensively. Uh, let's see how that is. Is, is. Does his consistency rates go up? Uh, he does have a good slap shot. He does have the ability to um, recognize seams and identify seams through traffic. Uh, that's going to be, I think, the bread and butter and the hallmark of his offensive game when you look at the projection rate at the NHL level. But it, this is a really interesting opportunity to showcase where he is as a uh, player. Question about Vincennes Royer, uh, Montreal draft pick, uh, third round, 75th overall, if I remember correctly. And thoughts on how much he's going to be leaned on by Team Austria as well. You know, just familiarity, obviously, with like North American ice and a lot of these players that he's playing against. And, you know, they tend to lean on these guys pretty heavy. He's going to get a lot of ice, a lot of first line play, a lot of power play time, and then talk about what his potential could be at this tournament. Yeah, he's he's one of those situations where you you would think of him. He was drafted to be a a depth forward, but a very useful one. Right. He's he's one of those players that he's a role player, uh, and he's a multi dimensional role player that that gets the puck back for you uh, when you lose it in the corners. He and that's because the competitive nature of the kid is second to none. That's what defines his game is not so much the skill set, which is good. It's not bad. His handling is very good. He's a very good puck handler. Uh, he can make small area plays, uh, and he can attack defensemen. And, and when you when you uh, look at his frame, you look at his handling, you look at his mentality, it, it leads to good results. Uh, he's a chaos generator. He's a havoc creator. He's going to have to be exactly that. He's going to have to. This is again we, we've mentioned it before, but it really it really should be pronounced because it's, it's really tr- true. Just he's the type of player that should thrive in this environment. He's the type of player where when it gets more physical, that's a good thing. When it, it comes to having to deal with getting into dirty areas, when it comes to – Austria's going to have to score based off some ugly goals. Yeah, they're going to throw it at the, throw at the net and smash right. and crash and hope exactly. for Smash, grease. crash, yeah. get the greasy goals. Then Chen's roar, roar, uh, thrives in that in that role. Uh, it, there's some uh, – Marco Casper, also Austrian, not at this event, but there are some qualities in that front that are similar to Marco Casper, right, in that sense. There, there is a pro-mature uh, game where he can play a heavy game when he needs to. He's going to have to do that. That's going to how, how the Tens War is going to have to do the work. Well, you know, one of the other players I want to get your thoughts on as well is uh, a Latvian player in Dan's uh, look, look Menace. Fourth-round pick, Boston Bruins. Last year in the draft, I know how you like to search sometimes for those Latvian players. So give us a little insight on Dan's and what do you think he could do for Latvia? Because, like, you know, they're going to be under siege in this tournament. It's going to be tough sledding for them. But there's something about the Latvians. They bring a lot of energy. They bring a lot of passion. And they have a really good work ethic. So sometimes those kind of teams that hang around for a while, they kind of scare the bigger teams, right? They kind of hang around those one goal games and then the other teams start thinking about what they're going to do. What do you think, you know, Dan's is going to have to be a prominent player for them. And like much of the Austrians, they're going to have to get some puck lock and they're going to have to do, get some greasy goals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, um, I, I give Boston credit. I, th- I think Don's like Milis is, is one of those players that really might be one of those sneaky dark horses where you look down the line and at 23, 24 years of age, out of nowhere, he's on the NHL roster playing for the Bruins in the top nine. I, I you know, I do. I, I think it's a depth, more of a third line type of forward. Third, fourth line player, that, yeah. You get that, you get that where they drafted him. That's a fantastic, it's a fantastic get. Uh, Luck Milis plays with a ton of structure and he's an intelligent player. And those are the defining traits of his game. He's a well-rounded player. He's, he's a player who can operate at a higher speed when he's called upon to do so. 
that's exactly what he's going to be called upon to do so. He's a, a gifted playmaker. I think his, I, I would argue he's more of a playmaker than a shooter. Um, but I, you know, like just just speaking of what you said about Lafia, like look at the look at the fact that they're always here. You know, yeah. people are always like, oh, it's Lafia. Lafia is always. But at they the always event. show. They 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 always they show stick up. around. They stick around. Sometimes they surprise even. Uh, and the the thing with Lafia is, look at look at the the. I mean, they they don't have. I mean, I, I'm one of the few scouts you'll talk to that actually watches their pro league occasionally. I found Arter Silovs through their their pro league. I, I talked to his agent his entire draft year as a result of it. Uh, it it's it, listen. It's it's very much. A, it's it's not a high end t- uh, pro league, but they 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 manage to develop with no, having limited resources and per capita, their results are pretty pretty darn pretty inspiring. They're yeah. pretty good. Uh, so when you look at Donslik Milis and Sanders Velminis and before him, Rudolf Balsers, and yes, I know Elvis Rizlikis is struggling. He'll, he'll find himself, you know, it's just really, there's still star potential there. It's amazing to me how they managed to do so well as a country. And, and uh, I hope uh, at this tournament, they at least get to, to, to showcase some of that. And it will be beyond the, on the backings of Lachmilis and, and, and Valminis, uh, who, who grew, by the way, for listeners, they, they developed in Sweden, right? So they're, they're yeah. more Swedish background. And that, that gives them that maturity earlier. And that's what they need to, to have some success here at this event. Yeah, 100%. And this is like one of the funnest tournaments of the year. Uh, I love it. I'm looking forward to uh, getting out to all the games uh, in Moncton and Halifax as well. So, and it's going to be, sold out um even at the pre-tournament games it was great to see the crowds they was even for non-canada games it was like 85 90 full in pre-tournament tournament games so i was really impressed by that so uh great to the fans um in moncton for that so i was i was thoroughly impressed um so if uh to listen to the show uh we're going to be played five times this pre pre uh, preview show uh twice on saturday twice on sunday once on monday before things get started don't worry if you like tune in halfway and you've missed it uh we can also be found on podcast any of your podcast network whether it's pandora or apple or spotify as well and we have a youtube channel as well so uh just for audio as well so you can listen to the preview show there as well so you won't miss out. I know it's the holiday season, lots of crazy stuff going on, but you can always hide in a corner and listen to Brad and I talk about the World Junior Championships. So for uh, for Brad Allen, I'm Shane Malloy. Uh, it's been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio, and we will certainly see you at the rink.